0: everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast, this podcast that is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have for your life and what next steps do you want to take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson. My honor to be here and I am so glad you're here as well. If you're checking us out for the first time or maybe you're relatively new to the show, I want to give you a special welcome or maybe listen to every single episode. Lucky you. I guarantee you're going to remember episode 74, and you're going to be sharing this with a lot of people in your life uh, because our guest is Adam Lane Smith. He is just a transformative force in the field of personal development and relationships. He leverages years of professional experience as a licensed psychotherapist, and over the years, he's really honed his craft as a highly sought-after attachment specialist and a personal coach. Who does he coach? Everyone. Hardworking, blue-collar families, seeking to mend uh, marital issues, to high-power executives striving for harmony in parenting and in their relationships, millionaire CEOs navigating the intricate world of dating. And Adam's profound insights and advice have proven invaluable time and again. In short, anyone looking to fix their dating life, their marriage, or overall health of all relationships, Adam's the guy. So what can you expect to learn? You're gonna get a different take on relationships and uh, a perspective You probably haven't heard before, but it'll open your eyes. And wherever you may be at in some of your most important relationships marriage, maybe you're dating someone, you're going to get a lot out of this, or maybe you are single and you are frustrated with the reality of modern dating. And we're going to go there in the interview. Look, at the end of the day, everybody, you know this it is about relationships. It's not about the stuff, it's not about the things, it's about the relationships that we have in our lives that make life meaningful and give us joy and purpose. And when that's lacking, life just feels different, doesn't it? Let's focus in on relationships and how we can strengthen ours. So now everyone, welcome to episode 74. I'm glad you're here. And here is Adam Lane Smith. Adam,
1: welcome to the podcast.
0: It's really good having you here.
1: Thank you for having me here. This is an honor.
0: All right, Adam, uh, listen, you are, I gotta start first. You're an attachment specialist Mm -hmm. and educate us on what exactly is that? Do you have a,
1: do you have a clean answer on that? Oh, yeah, it's really simple. Attachment is the way you learn to give and receive love as a kid, and you carry that in your grown-up relationships, and some people learn that they can give and receive love by cooperating and being open and honest about what they need, and most people learn that they have to hide it, they have to play games, they have to please people, and they have to constantly fight against abandonment or getting hurt, and that's why so many people have terrible relationships nowadays because they just can't be honest about what they need
0: what are the different attachment? I mean, for example, you're talking to me, we just met. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me I have an attachment style. I mean, everyone has something like this. Everyone does.
1: Everyone does. All right. So where does it, where does it come from then? And how, how is it formed? Mm Mm-hmm. So your parents train you. The moment you're born, you begin training in how you are going to interact with other human beings. If your parents cooperate with you during conflicts and they get down and they say, hey, here's what you did wrong. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to teach you. This is what you need to do right next time so that we can work together. If they meet your needs pretty quick and take care of you, if they keep you warm and safe and they make you feel like everything makes sense and you can predict your world and and you just go forward, you work with other people that will care about you. I'm talking about almost like utopian parents here. Most people at home probably yes. never can, not even imagine this, but that's called secure attachment. You generate secure attachment with your child. They will go out into the world. They will look for people to mostly cooperate with them. They will be honest about their expectations. They'll have great boundaries. They will pursue their goals. They're not scared. They are not fearless, but darn near fearless in their life. Unfortunately, things can go wrong and a lot of parents could be depressed. They could be anxious. They could be absent. You could be a single parent home and the other parents absence speaks volumes to that child. You, you might not be able to be present. Your child could be in daycare away from you for extended periods of time. Your child could be in the NICU and learn in those early couple of weeks of life that no one's going to comfort them when they feel scared. Really? That they're not going held. That early, instantly, your child is born knowing your voice, your smell, all kinds of things about you. And when they are separated from you and cry and not held, they learn no one's going to comfort me when I'm scared. Um, A child left in their crib for hours and hours and hours to cry it out within that first six months of life. Terrible. And we're looking for consistent things that the child learns no one will ever care for me the child's attachment can break in one of three different ways. One is they blame themselves internally. I am the blame. I am to blame here. No one will ever love me because something's wrong with me. I don't know what it is, but I was born wrong from other people. Everybody deserves love except me. And if anyone sees this bad part of me, they will abandon me. So I have to earn approval. I have to make people like me. I have to be perfect at everything I do. I can never show weakness to anybody. And I have to make everybody love me, but they never really will love me because if they ever see this thing wrong with me, they'll see I'm a complete fraud and I'll be kicked out and I'll have to live under a bridge with coyotes as my only friends. And <laughs> Even they will be better than me. <laughs> and that's anxious attachment is what that is. It's the, it's codependent people. It's approval seeking people. It is very low self-esteem people who go out into the world and do their best to earn the approval they never felt as children. But yeah, what's the counter to that? Ooh, the opposite one so it's externally focused it's called avoidant attachment uh-huh. these people are still anxious and scared but the view is that something is wrong with people outside of them they could be really manipulative there's two variants of this really manipulative and say other people are bad I've watched other people hurt each other I've watched my parents scream at each other and abuse each other and I know other people are messed up so I have to appease them and keep them at arm's length I avoid getting close because I can never trust anybody but I will manipulate them and push their buttons to make them do what I want them to do. They will only act the way I need and meet my needs. If I make them by giving them good feelings or giving them bad feelings, Mm -hmm. there's another variant of this that what I have termed the nervous avoidant where they're, they're anxious. They're nervous. They don't blame themselves, but they don't think other people are evil. They typically believe other people are very stressed and weak and weak-willed. And so if stress gets high, other people will turn on them or go crazy or be foolish. So they just keep everybody out and they do their best to diminish stress for other people. And they do their best to push buttons and play, play good games, but they don't coerce people. They don't exploit people. They don't take, they're not really manipulative. They're just stay right there. I'm safe right here. I don't want to get close. These are the, usually the people They're they're a little bit more absent parents. They may just not know how dating is supposed to work. They'll usually, a lot of men have this, they'll get into marriages and then they won't know how to provide for their wife's emotional needs. So this is one of the biggest leading causes of divorce right here. They have no idea how to connect to their children, their wife. They're, they're fantastic in business. Most of my coaching clients who are incredible in business, they've amassed a fortune. They've built a company. And their marriage is falling apart or they're on their fourth oh. marriage. And they, I've got clients that come in with $8 million prenups and they are just, they're ready to write that check and just get their part, their, their fourth spouse out the door is because right? they cannot stand it anymore because they've lived with avoidance and avoidance and avoidance. Um, It's painful. Yeah. It's painful.
0: So when I think about though dating and when you connect with somebody, there's this, the, the whole, the adage of opposites attract. Mm-hmm. Is is there something to it now scientifically, where our own yes. insecurities—that's the right word—where we do tr- attract one
1: another, and then it's good for a while, but then you know all hell breaks loose. I want you to think of it this way. If you are open and calm and secure and you can share your needs, you're going to do that naturally. And people who are afraid of that are going to scatter and leave. But people who are secure like you are going to come towards you and everybody that's going to create one dating pool over here of people who are just completely open. They signal to each other correctly and they don't scare each other off. They love it. They're in this dating pool. There's another dating pool, two different dating pools where they self-select out from each other of people who are anxious and say, I am unloved lovable. No one will ever love me. I can never get close to people, but I can earn their approval and I'll make Mm. everybody like me and I, I will be okay. I promise. Don't leave me and they the anxious people pair up with the avoidant people. Hey, I don't ever want to be close to somebody, but I want to find somebody that I can give them good feelings and then they'll do what I want and they'll they'll and I can just earn their approval that way. They'll they'll earn my approval and they'll follow me without ever getting too close to me and making me feel unsafe. So the anxious person meets the avoidant person. It's like boom, fireworks. They say, "We're soulmates. You just get me." And the avoidant person will do something called love bombing, which they saturate the anxiously attached person with compliments kindness attention all kinds of great things being great in the bedroom for example they'll do everything they can and it floods the anxious person's brain with a hormone called oxytocin which is a bonding hormone we're supposed to get in childhood mom holds us gives us a kiss loves mm. us we're supposed to get that we get very little if we have attachment issues for a number of reasons and they flood them with oxytocin and it's so it's it's as addictive as heroin and the anxious person says <clears throat> you have the greatest thing in the world and it's mine and I love it. And I am not worthy of it. You will eventually abandon me. So I'm going to do everything I can to make you love me. (laughs) And they start chasing the avoidant person who goes, Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't want to I didn't sign up for this. And they start backing off at about seven months. They start slowly backing off because they get overwhelmed by that of anxious person's neediness of constantly (laughs) needing approval and connection and reassurance. And then they begin this chase, pull away, chase, pull away dynamic, uh, don't get too close to me. I'm going to punish you with bad feelings if you do, but if you don't stop wow. chasing me, I'll give you good feelings. And the anxious person and the avoidant person just chase each other. Sometimes eight years, sometimes 20 years. When, I, when I've when i worked with clients who have 20 year marriages that are now dissolving, that's almost always the case. As she began as anxious, he began as avoidant. They were fine till they had kids. She overwhelmingly needed those kids to have good attachment and then resented him for not being able to give it. So all of a sudden he goes from being a great man to being the end. Enemy of her and her children, and now she's angry at him. And then it just cascades, and he can't meet her emotional needs. He doesn't know what to do. He gets alienated from the kids. Marriage explodes, and that's one oh of the gosh. biggest dynamics I've seen.
0: What a painful dance that has to be to, Horrible. to watch. Horrible. You have helped. In fact, I've. You're a fantastic follow on Twitter, and and for those who are not following Adam yet on Twitter, I invite you to do so. But you mentioned you've you've helped save thousands of relationships, and so you you see this
1: all the time understatement yes oh yes i was a marriage and family therapist for years before i retired so that i could coach internationally and i've i've seen that pattern so many times i wrote a book it's right above my head called exhausted wives bewildered husbands of wives who say i am just exhausted from 15 years of doing this i can't do it anymore i need a divorce and the man says wait I get how serious it is now. And I'm willing to try. Why are you leaving? Why won't you try again? And she's been trying for 20, 15, 20 years, yeah. and he's just ready to begin. And he's now taking it seriously. It's, oh, it's, it's one of the biggest causes of long-term marriage divorce like that. One of the absolute biggest causes.
0: If I'm in a relationship and I can, everything you're saying is just echoing. It's just really, really resonating with me as far as uh, I may anxiously, I'm anxious, uh, attached and avoidant is my partner. I mean, can it work or does it just, is it just better to, uh, cut your losses and, and to walk away? And what, what have you seen in that?
1: Oh yeah. It, it, it can always work if both are willing, if both are willing to make it work, even if you don't have the skills, even if you don't know how it's going to work, even if you have not even begun the journey, if both say, yes, I will do the work and they just hold to that. I can get them through it. There there is a pathway through it. It is fixing your attachment together. A lot of couples take my attachment boot camp video course, and they learn the skills together. And when you fix your attachment together, it actually bonds you like human super glue, and it makes you a stronger couple than you ever were before. So you must fix the attachment styles that are causing those issues and then build that connection between you. It can always work. I, I, I have helped Man, I've seen couples come back from extreme circumstances that I, I they would curl your toes if I told you right now. But oh man, couples can come back from anything as long as both are willing to do the work.
0: I've heard you on a different podcast. I heard you make that point that that's the key. Both need to be willing. If one is willing and other is unwilling, it is not going to. It's not going to work,
1: Adam. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. What I usually see is the man is very willing. And the woman is burned out and exhausted and not sure Mm -hmm. if she's willing. And -hmm. that's really the crux of it is if you can motivate her to a point where she has hope, not necessarily in him, but in the process itself, and then walk them through the process of what it looks like. If he can invest and she can invest in holding on and waiting to see what he's going to do, even that can work. But if one Mm -hmm. or both of them, if one of them's done, or if he's not willing to do the work and he just wants things to be comfortable, or if she's a hundred percent out not fixable
0: so on your website you have um, your background about you're an attachment specialist and from your website it says your favorite work is is with people who've lived for decades with the belief that they will never be loved mm-hmm. and tell me more about that is that really right back to the basis then of attachment and wh- how do you get into this
1: field of all the things you could be doing why attachment <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question I grew up with attachment issues myself. I came from a generationally broken family of the whole Mm. expanded system. It was really bad. Um, Nobody knew how to give and receive love, not bad people, but nobody knew how. And what I found with all my friends around me was their families were very much the same. In fact, the research shows up to 65% of adults in America now have an attachment issue. Only 35% grow up with a secure attachment. It's, It's two and three now have a bad, have a bad case. So I... I wanted to fix that. I fixed it in myself. I, I, I took the horrible steps on my own fixing it. I just knew I couldn't live that way anymore. So I intuited the steps and, and I found some, some basic resources to help me and I did it. And it was so awful fixing it alone that I never wanted anybody else to ever have to do it alone ever. So I went to school, got my master's degree, three years then into apprenticeship for licensed psychotherapy, and then worked years in the field, training other healthcare professionals on attachment. And none of them have ever been educated on it because it's, it is what underpins all of the diagnoses in the book, there's the diagnostic statistics manual right there. It underpins just about every single diagnosis in that book, but we don't discuss that. We discuss the diagnoses and the symptoms and then we medicate them and we create systems and treatment methods to reduce the symptoms, but we never really touch this core basis that underlies all of those diagnoses. So I specialize into it because I want psychology to focus on the root cause and to give people lasting relief for life that also gives them great relationships.
0: So why why isn't it taught more? Why isn't it more at the
1: forefront um, of science and your training? It, it doesn't play well with the medical model that we use mostly here in America. Some people learn it. It, it. It's what we would call systemic. It's a response model of mental health. You have mental health symptoms as a response to this issue. We use the medical model. You have a disease. You'll probably have it for life. Your brain is now built wrong, and you need this medication to help you fix a brain problem that Somehow just happened. We don't know how, but here, take these five medications. I've worked with some clients who have up to twenty-seven different medications that they're on. At least half oh of gosh. those are psych meds. Uh, yes, it's it's that this is what we do. Unfortunately, so it, it it just isn't trained. The systemic model or the response model just really isn't trained much in in most areas with psychology.
0: Well, Adam, um, let's talk about young men. Here, here's what I think I know. There's a 2022 Pew Research study that showed that. For young men, they are less um, they're, they're sexually inactive or sexually dormant. They have fewer friends, uh, close relationships. What in
1: the world is going on with young men? They are being raised in family systems that teach them they have to solve problems completely alone because no one is ever going to care for them or help them. Male brains are not meant to work that way. We are solution machines. Our brain goes to the back to observe and forward to act upon the problem that we have observed. We are supposed to link up with other male brains like computers in a network, like data nodes, and share information from father to son, grandfather, uncle, mentors. We are meant to link up with other male brains that have solved problems and then gather that data and solve our problems too. And we are also meant to find fulfillment in relationships where we create legacy, human impact. Men are raised without human connection, without human bonding, without human legacy, to be completely alone, isolated units that have to solve every problem, completely alone in a world that increasingly has no precedent for some of the solutions, some of the problems that men are facing right now. And they can't talk about them, and they're totally alone, and they're told that they're evil by nature for being men, and every man is entitled, and every man is toxic, and they are shamed into complete non-existence.
0: And Twitter feed. You have a tweet here from today. It's crucial to recognize, discuss, and approach men's mental health issues. And I want to go one step further. Feeling powerless is a common symptom of depression
1: among men. Knowing that you can regain control is key to recovery. Most male depression comes about as a result of learned helplessness, powerlessness in their life, We go to therapy and and therapy teaches men how to feel loved because that usually makes women feel better. Women are, women are strongest when they feel loved and when they feel useful to the people that they love in their family, they feel protected, loved, cared for men feel best and strongest when we have power and people mistake this. I don't mean the power to punch someone in the face or be a tyrant power to enact change in our lives, to stop our pain, to build something, to create something. Power is what men are looking for. And when we have learned helplessness, it eats away at the core of manhood and everything we are meant to do. We observe a problem. And then instead of acting upon it, our brain clicks and says, I have nothing to do. I have nothing to do. I have nothing to do. There's no hope. And we just fall. Our brain just can't even function the way it's supposed to. It falls apart into depression and learned helplessness. And that pain is just looking at your life and having absolutely no power or control to, for example, find a wife and have a child, to get a job that is stable and secure so you can provide for yourself and your family, to take care of a couple of friends that you have and protect them from the world, to build a, a network or a connection that matters, to, to amass wealth in any way, to, to hand off an inheritance, to do anything of meaning besides being stuck in a one-room apartment at a job that you hate with no wife, no children, can't go dating. The research shows that dating apps, it's about 10 to one, 10 men to one woman, and you're competing against nine other dudes just to try to get one woman And most of those women won't look at you even even the second time. So you'll go through thousands of potential candidates begging for one date and maybe get one response. And that probably Mm. won't even be a good response. It's overwhelmingly terrible. And these men have no hope. That is the problem. When we restore their hope, when we say, here is how you can have power in your own life to change yourself right? We start with the body many times. Like, here's how to change your muscles to be buff and be fit and look good and feel good. They That gains power. And they say, what else can I change? Then they link up to other men and learn solutions. And then they say, whoa, I have power to make changes. And they thrive in life when they do that. But without it, they die.
0: Hmm. So it's a whole different world right now. I mean, I, I'm 56 years old. And when, so when I was in high school. We didn't have there. Was, there was no internet. There were no iPhones. There was no date. There were no dating apps. I met my wife in high school, actually in Sunday school. I will go back even further. But my point is, you met your your wife in an area where you you kind of knew who the other guys were around you. You have a tweet out. In fact, it's out right now. In fact, you posted it today. The harshest truths about why dating sucks for men. <laughs> And in numbers four through six, talk about how competitive it is right now. Tell us more about that because I never looked at it that way until I watched your video and your point about these harshest
1: truths. So if you think about a dating profile, it is very much like trying to apply for jobs. When you (laughs) apply for a job, it's very competitive. Now, imagine that you are competing against hundreds of other candidates for low-paying jobs that you're not actually even going to be very happy with. Let's say there are women that you are not necessarily really attracted to, and they don't really have good domestic or loving relationship skills. They just happen to be a woman with a warm body who will at least look at you twice. And you are competing (laughs) with hundreds of other men for that one girl's attention. And the other dudes are jacked. They're, they're taller than you are. They have better jobs than you have. They look better. They have better pictures. They pose better. They have better social skills. All of these features come into play, and the only thing these women look at is they glance at your profile for about three seconds and decide if they want to swipe left or swipe right. And they have seen a plethora of gorgeous, like jacked, wealthy men, and then there you are. You're you're some you're some engineer. Maybe you're an a, maybe you're an engineer. I get a lot of engineers in my yeah. coaching. You're an engineer who's built uh, built your profile to be kind of considerate. You haven't had a professional come in and build your resume on your on your dating sure. app like you need. And and your picture's pretty good. It's you looking like a pretty average kind of guy. And you may not be in like a a, a four thousand dollars suit, but you're in your nicest clothes, and you instantly get swiped away because she says, "Well, I have." 200 other men over here who make $4 million plus and will instantly buy me a car. And you want me to go on these dates with you to Denny's or Applebee's? I don't really think so. She'll just instantly within seconds swipe away from you. And that happens over and over and over for months or years. Guys go 10 years without a date because they just can't love. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They go long time between dates. And they say, they come to me in coaching or in my community and they say, Adam, I've given up. I've given up on human women. I'm waiting for Mars to invade and maybe their (laughs) women will be better for me. Uh, Or they're waiting for AI to take over and robotic bodies or they're waiting for a digital girlfriend because they've utterly given up on even finding an average woman who wants to have a couple of kids with them and raise a family in a small little little home, white picket fence. That's all these guys want. And that is beyond their reach
0: that's what they want. That's how their brain is hardwired. That's part of their legacy. It's more than what they want. That's, that's where their purpose lies. And that's, that really drives them. Am I close?
1: Absolutely. And that is the crux of it. If you take that away and say, Hey, young men, you will be told you're evil your entire life for being a man. And the only way for you to find someone to love you is to roll through these dating apps and be as competitive as possible to try to get the lowest hanging fruit of women that you possibly can. All the other ones will be up here. The research shows that, um, 90% 90% of women are actually competing for the top 10% of men on those dating apps. So 10 to one odds against men. And then all of those of that one woman, 90% of them will be competing for the top 10% of men. So the 10% of women that are left are going to be down here. So men have, what is that? Oh gosh, 0. 1, 0. 0.1, woman for every 10 men. Imagine that. Uh, so if there's a hundred men, For one woman on these dating apps, that's what you're competing is a hundred to one. That is your odds of going out and finding a wife to have children with you. A hundred and one, 99% chance of failure. And for that 1% chance, you have to maximize yourself to the absolute utmost that you humanly can. In a economy that's collapsing and in, in situations where you can't really get better and advance mm-hmm. very much where you are encouraged on it to take many types of drugs and slow you down and corporations are fighting to distract you away from building a life and numb yourself instead. And it is so easy to just numb yourself instead and waste your best years just chasing pleasure to numb yourself away from the pain of knowing that it's it feels hopeless.
0: Their self-esteem has to just be at a rock bottom after months years of not being able to connect with uh in this case another woman they just got to be a wreck
1: aren't they it's the men in my emails and my dms and my when they walk into my private community the first time it's i am joining this or i'm emailing you because it's a better alternative to suicide I get that all the time, all the time. Adam, I'm emailing you. I'm not going to kill myself if you don't talk to me, but um, I am reaching out because this is a better, this is a better alternative to killing myself. And I don't want to do that. Do you have any resources for me at all? That's, that's how a lot of the conversations with men, with young generation Z men under 23, that's how a lot of those conversations begin.
0: Okay. Wow. Well, okay. So that's serious stuff. (laughs) And obviously you're in this to, to help them in some really meaningful ways. So that's, i mean way to put your your talents to good use there adam that's that's incredible you know the the other reasons that you have here these harsh truths about why modern dating sucks for mm-hmm. men mm-hmm. you talk about how there's this uh this phenomenon of being ghosted and yes. i got i got to ask you this so are you saying that when a guy finally gets that date and they go out to denny's or applebee's that the woman then has the ability then to keep shopping to keep shopping and to see if there's someone else who might be better. That's got to happen, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. If you take a lot of guys, if they even get a date, uh, and this isn't just young young guys in their 20s, it's guys in their 40s, guys even in their 50s. You take a woman on a date, you drop 100 hundred, two hundred $200, taking her somewhere nice. She orders <laughs> the best thing on the menu and a bunch of drinks, and she's used to being pampered and you struggle through a conversation most guys in dating, even in their 50s I work with plenty of guys in their 50s, don't even know how to carry a conversation with a woman on the first three dates, they don't know the first three date method to move it toward commitment, they don't know how to build interest with her and test compatibility on the first three dates, I have to teach them that Uh, most of them, they drop 100, 200, sometimes more money on on dollars on the first date and she's just on her phone the entire time, scrolling through her phone not even looking at him, barely making conversation he's (laughs) desperately dancing (laughs) for her like a bird dancing and trying to get a female bird into the nest (laughs) and she finishes the date says that was great thanks and then maybe she'll give him like a pat on the back and he says okay like i'll I'll text you again she says yeah that's great never hears from her again she'll never Hmm. respond to his text ever again she just goes home has fun and she's still on the dating apps rolling through and he will never hear from her again and he will and he says like what did i do wrong And if you can get that 1% connection rate with 1% of women, you go, you shoot at a hundred women, you get one. So if you shoot at a thousand women, you might get 10 dates and then you get ghosted 10 times by those 10 women. And you have spent a couple thousand dollars on those dates by that point of hard earned money. These, again, these are guys in their thirties, forties, fifties that are still going through this kind of stuff. It's, oh, it's a nightmare, nightmare. Okay. So
0: that one, I got, I got to think about that one. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's happening to the guys.
1: (laughs) You're happy. You're married now, aren't you?
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I am. Because again, the, the date, I look at this, like the dating pool, high school, which we had a graduating class of 30. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, everyone kind of knew each other and there wasn't any, there wasn't the internet. So when the guy then is, is actually having that date, I mean, it's almost like you're standing at the at the free throw line, needing to drop the, uh, the front half of a one and one, or it's a, you got to make that it's a Super Bowl, you can't mess up. So the anxiety level has got to go up for these
1: guys, and they just I mean, there's they get in their head like crazy, I imagine. Most guys walk into a date like they're interviewing with the highest level CEO of a huge (laughs) global corporation and he's applying to be the janitor. That's where most guys walk in and they're like, I've got to do everything. Perfect. Everything has to be perfect. And one mistake that I coach guys on is this. They make statements instead of asking questions. They think they try to find topics to talk about instead of responding to things she has said. Most guys can't carry a conversation to save their life. So most women go onto those dates and they think, what is, with all these guys that can't have a conversation with me. They just talk about yeah. themselves and then they stare at me across the table. That's why a lot of these women are on their phone and it just completely collapses. Men and women can't even talk to each other anymore.
0: Again, there's some other, by the way, I mentioned a few of these about these, the harshest truths about why dating sucks for men. Is there any others that you have particular
1: passion for you want to mention right here? The one that I will say is this is once you get connected to a woman, If you are bonded with her, a lot of those women who are not married yet, they're dating, um, they're still dating in their, their 20s, their 30s, even their 40s, many of them have attachment issues themselves. So they either are really emotionally needy and craving your approval and validation all the time. Or They're very avoidant. So they'll push back against you. They'll be really proud of being independent and strong without you and tell you over and over they don't need you. And they'll resent you for trying to be a loving, connected partner with them. This is why many men who start dating later on or men who try to find a second marriage after their first one fails will usually connect with these women who don't have the skills required to build loving relationships. Many women in this dating pool, same thing though. Those guys often will have those crushing insecurities themselves or be very avoidant. So those women are Just as frustrated as the men are, and they can't build a cooperative relationship together.
0: Okay, Adam. I was talking to a young man, and when he hears this podcast, he'll know who I'm talking about. Young, young guy, probably 28 years old. And I was, you know, I was asking him how 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 he's doing and about his job. And I was asking, you know, any, any, uh, are you dating at all? I was just curious, you know. And he said, no, no. I'm. I'm not dating. Job's going well, but I'm not dating. I said, really? So what about these dating apps I keep hearing about? What in, and he, he said, he said, no, I'm not. I'm not on the apps at all. He, he said. I said, why? That seems to be the the thing to do now. And he said, no, I just don't like the games. Mm-mm. I just don't like the games of, you know, hey you and just the the dance that happens in these apps. Whatever happens here, Adam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But give him some advice if he were to say, okay. I am going in, I am competing against the other 99 guys. What would be a profile that he could build that that women would really relate to? And I that is such a bad
1: question, but I think you know what I'm trying to ask. I do. I do. 100%. Here's what I tell men when they come in and ask for help on this. For thousands upon thousands of years, humans have connected through their social networks, their local ones, to find a partner who's a good match for them. To, to get connected through family and friends like you did, like I myself did. My wife and I were connected that way. In 1995, about 65% of couples met through family and friends. That wow. was the majority, even in 1995, that was the vast majority. Dating programs and, and systems back then were about 12 and a half percent, the very basic internet dating of the nineties. Now those statistics have actually reversed. It's about 65% of modern couples meet through dating apps and about 12 and a half percent meet through family and friends. The reason is mm-hmm not that dating apps have become incredibly effective and have killed the family system. The reason is that family systems and friend systems have completely collapsed. So no one can connect through them and say, Hey, I'm looking for a husband or a wife. Can you find me somebody? They don't even have a bond with their family anymore. They feel totally distant. They live alone in a one room apartment at a job they hate, and they barely see or talk to their family about anything important. And they may not even have friends. And so they do not have anyone to help connect them to anybody. So they are desperately crawling through these apps, strangers looking for strangers. And that is the worst possible way for human humans to meet up because you have no information on the other people predators rule the land and everybody yes. else is terrified and it becomes a game on the dating apps of who can be the hottest and who can be the most attractive immediately within the first three seconds and hook your attention and keep it then it's about entertaining and it's about high value showing off being all these things that, that's the endless process. And the most things you're going to find on there are people with attachment issues. People who have secure attachment will find people through their family and friends and get married fairly early on in life and be paired up. So it leaves that other dating pool. It's horrible. The way you fix that, build family and friend connections, fix your attachment, build family and friend connections, build your local network, make those connections happen. And then you will almost effortlessly find a loving partner connected to those people because the healthiest women have gatekeepers who prevent them from, from finding strangers and getting hurt. But they also bring loving people in finding a suitor is somebody that they know. So they have 10 years of data on you. First, you have to connect (laughs) to their gatekeepers by building your own social network, showing your value there and showing up as a man who makes change in your life.
0: Interesting. So that's you're saying go back to the future
1: on this. Go back to the future a bit, but build it for the modern era. So do it in a way that increases your value in new connections, in new communities. Build friendships, build connections. You don't have to go back to the caveman days and and club her over the head and drag her back to your cave. You, You build new connections, new networks. If your family is not accessible to you for various reasons, build a new thriving community. Join a digital gated community. These are really big and really growing nowadays. Get connected to people and then immerse yourself in that community. And people will want to connect you to the people they love who are also looking for a loving partner.
0: That's great. You know, Adam, I've looked at the clock. We've already talked for longer than I thought we did. I mean, it's just flying by. um, And Mm -hmm. there's so much more that we could spend time on. I would love to have you back on the show uh, to keep keep diving into this. This is fascinating. And Mm -hmm. it's such an important topic. But Adam, what's the best way to follow you? You're doing a lot on YouTube and on Twitter and on your website. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how how to follow you and get involved in some of the work you're doing.
1: Absolutely. So the biggest resource people love is my YouTube channel. I'm Adam Lane Smith overrun research lane as in road, L A N E Adam Lane Smith. I'm also on my website, adamlanesmith.com. I have my coaching. I have a course on there, my attachment bootcamp that shows you how to fix those attachment issues yourself or with a couple, with a partner. I've got books on there. I've got my private community. I have everything accessible. If you love video, YouTube. If you love images and graphics, Instagram, I'm at attachment Adam over there. You can find all my resources on those places. And I would love to talk to anybody.
0: You know, Adam, what you were saying that I got, got thinking about some of the things that we were just chatting about, what might marriage look like in 30, 40 years?
1: The reason you have marriage realistically is to raise a family and people are having fewer kids than ever before, but most people want children and are just not able to have them. So if we are going to bring childbearing back into this world, (laughs) marriage is going to have a whole new meaning and people will embrace it again. But until that time comes, why would people take a gamble on strangers that don't have the connections that they have and could destroy your life? If you don't want children or can't have children, most people won't take that risk.
0: Well, that's profound. Right back to getting back into the network of friends and family and starting there. Really good. So, Adam, you do so many podcasts and you talk to people all day long. Mm-hmm. Is there a question that never seems to get asked of you during a podcast that you would just love to address or to answer right now?
1: Mm-hmm. Everybody demonizes the avoidant people in relationships. They get treated like the awful ones because sometimes they manipulate or they escape and run away. And everyone sympathizes with the anxious people. And nobody ever asks what are avoidant people going through and why should we care about them? (laughs) Nobody ever asks that.
0: Because they're the villain. Did we perceive them as a villain?
1: They get perceived as the villain because they're the ones who hold back and push buttons or they're the ones who hold back and withhold Mm. the love that other people want because they don't believe that they will be loved, so they don't expose themselves. Most of them are not doing it maliciously. They're not being cruel. They just don't believe that love is even possible, so they withhold to protect themselves without trying to manipulate or exploit other people, but they get viewed as a monster that you aren't giving me what I want. Anxious people say, I did everything to earn your approval and you never Gave yeah. me what I wanted. And the avoidant person is left feeling like they are just hated and demonized, which just makes them retreat even more oh. because that's the belief is that the world is just going to attack them for nothing.
0: That's tough to watch. That's tough to watch. Has to it's be. horrible. You, you know, I was talking to someone about this, about attachment styles and about avoidance style. And I, I I made a lazy comment about how they are narcissists. And this person corrected me. And I want your take on this and said, Well, no, 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 they're they're not. They're not, I mean, they could be, but to say they are narcissists is not correct. They, they may exhibit some narcissistic
1: behaviors, but they're not narcissists.
0: What, what would you say to that?
1: Narcissistic personality disorder is way over here off the chart. And then you've got the spectrum of manipulative avoidant people over here. With narcissistic, high narcissistic traits, all the way down to no or very low narcissistic traits over here with the nervous avoidant types who just want to be left alone so they don't get hurt. As you go down that spectrum, the narcissism increases until you go off the chart to narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, criminals, Uh, lawyers, politicians off the chart over here with full personality (laughs) disorders and are in prison or in politics. And that's, that's the scale. So they, not all of them have narcissistic tendencies, but all narcissists do have avoidance.
0: Oh, very good. You know, I think I'm, I think I'm anxiously attached. And the very fact that I'm asking you that may be an indication that that I'm anxiously attached.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Every podcast, every podcast I go on the host always says, Adam, I think I need to talk to you after because I think this could be me. And I, every single time you hear about it, you go, wait a minute. And it yeah. answers a lot of questions.
0: All right. Well, I will. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll reach out after this podcast. <laughs> hey, Adam, at the end of each uh, podcast or every guest, I ask them, what is what is your I Dare You challenge for all of our listeners? This is going to be good. Uh, what would you dare us to to do in order to live perhaps a better life? What do you think?
1: The key to fixing attachment is not intellectualizing and learning it. That will help begin the process. The key to fixing attachment is to have experiences with people that overwrite your earliest childhood memories of not being loved or accepted. So if this has resonated for you, share this information with somebody in your life and say, hey, I think I may have some attachment challenges with relationships. Can you watch this with me and tell me if you think this is me or is this you also? And can we fix our relationship? Have a conversation that opens you up to risk and opens you up to bonding at the same time, and that will be in the process of fixing your attachment.
0: Really great challenge for us. And what I love about this conversation though, you laid out a really a strong case of what, where some of the problems are and really life and death type problems uh, for society and also for individuals. But also you laid out some solutions for us and I find that really refreshing. I was hoping we would talk about solutions and we did. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And thank you, thank you again for being part of the podcast, Adam. It was really great having you here.
1: It was an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: All right. That was Adam Lane-Smith. What did you take away from that? For me, I am blown away by the realities that young men and young women are going through right now, dating and, and looking for a partner that they can share their life with. I had no idea. My wife Michelle and I have been married for 34 years and um, I look forward to at least another 34 years, but I'm grateful that back in that time period in 1980s, we had family and friends around us. Everyone knew each other and that's just the way it was. And for those of you that are my age, you get it. For those of you that uh, grew up with technology, that may be a foreign concept, but I got to tell you, Adam's advice about being really intentional about developing friendships and developing relationships with your family, and focusing there, it is so profound, you guys. And you may be an introvert, and that may be really scary, or there may be a foreign concept, but I'm encouraging you to shift your focus and your time less on technology and double down on relationships. What might that look like? Well, let me step into it. Well, if you love exercise, join a CrossFit gym. If religion is important to you, get involved in small groups at church. Get to know the families and the friends there, and, and they, they will know friends, and they know friends who know friends, that as soon as they see the type of person you are, now they're going to be looking for other people who might be a good fit for you. Now I'm sounding like your dad. I know that. So now that you listen to the episode, who are you going to share this with? Family, friends, people you love, people who are important to you. So now make sure you are following us on Instagram at I idareyoupod, and you are subscribing to this podcast. I'm glad you're here for this one. At the end of our lives, relationships, it's all that matters. All the other stuff is just going to fall away. And I think we also can be a force for change and a force for good in this. Who do we know in our circle of friends? Just do a scan right now. Who are the people in your life who are single, that are just healthy young men and women? And now who might you connect that person with? This is not about being a busybody, um, nosy matchmaker. We can let that go. There are a lot of people who are looking for uh, this relationship and they're struggling right now. Think about how you can be more proactive in connecting others. And here's some language for you. Instead of using some language that feels really scary, like, I'd like to set you up with Mary. No one likes to be set up. No one likes to be set up. Maybe the better language is, hey, you know what? I'd like to introduce you to Mary. Um, Something tells me you guys might enjoy getting to know each other. I think you'd enjoy meeting her. Just something nice and breezy like that. But we all know people who know people. And so let's take that step and see what we can do. All right? Let's have some fun with this. So now, everybody, get ready for Episode 75. Coming up next week, another great guest and a guest that will help you think about your life and where you want to take things. Thanks for listening to this episode. This podcast is growing all because of you, because you're here and you're sharing, and I appreciate you. We'll see you back here next week on I Dare You Podcast. I'll see you then.